you're listening to In The Know, a collection of career development insights and leadership experiences from INSEAD, the business school for the world. And welcome to another episode of In The Know. In today's episode, we have another special event as we feature an online discussion with the INSEAD Women in Business Club. The event was hosted by INSEAD's Assistant Director of Marketing and Recruitment for North America, Maria Rees, and included tips and strategies on how to tackle the GMAT from Whitney Garner at Manhattan Prep, as well as featuring insights from past and present students from the INSEAD Women in Business Club. And so what we do want to look for is an ability to kind of get a little bit of a strong start, show the test who we are early on. This sounds a lot like your uh, graduate school goals is to get in and to do a really effective job early on of showing what a capable and competent student you are, but then leaving plenty of time to maintain all the way through. I'm sure the women here could tell you that being a really strong student in the first couple of sections is great, but if you end up you know, leaving before the program is over um, that's not gonna look so good so we do want to make sure that um, we make it through the entire test so timing becomes a really important part of the exam so let's get in the know with today's special event with the INSEAD Women in Business Club pleasure to be here. I am always thrilled to get to be at events that are um, designed for women um, in business. So I'm honored. Thank you guys very much for having me today. Um, There is so much to cover about the GMAT. I'm sure you guys are fully aware of that. Um, And so I'm going to try and be very brief because we're all here, I think, to hear um, from these women who are living the experience that many of you hope to be living soon. So I did want to share one of what I think is the most important aspects of the GMAT that just isn't talked about enough. And it's the headspace that uh, you should kind of start to cultivate in order to best uh, perform. And so while this is a test to look at your academic capacity, I find that the GMAT is this really beautiful test for an MBA because at its heart, it tests your ability to think like a person in business and to think about how best to spend your resources, both time and money as you would in the real world. Um, In this case, it's time and effort on the test. So a quick overview of the test as a whole, um, there are four major sections on the GMAT, just to make you familiar. There's the argument essay where you'll be composing an essay. This is um, often important because the NSA it's not going to be able to completely confirm that you were the one that wrote your admissions essay. And this is a a good check on that where they can see a score on something that you were asked to compose completely on your own in 30 minutes. Um, I know that a lot of people are concerned about the essay. Do note that the GMAT is scoring you on this essay as if it's a like final first draft. And so you are not expected to be perfect. Spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes are perfectly acceptable. Um, Primarily, they are looking for complexity of thought. And so if you can do a good job of coming up with examples to support an argument, um, then you can absolutely get away um, without having perfect grammar or spelling. I, I can tell you right now, my if I were at all graded on spelling, I would be in the most trouble. Um, so the GMAT's really forgiving in that area. Integrated reasoning is the second, what I would call it, more minor 
area on the GMAT, it is a separate score, just like the essay will be. The integrated reasoning section is the most like the case studies that you'll probably see once you're in your program there it's called integrated because there is this mix of quantitative understanding with verbal reasoning um, it is very number intensive so for this one part of the test you'll get a calculator you will want to use it um, it's very time intensive so this is an area i highly recommend um, that people do a little more preparation than maybe they expect so there's a quantitative and a verbal section two separate pieces of the test. These are the two pieces that come together to give you that 800 score, you know, two to 800 that most of you are familiar with. So these two sections do have their own subscores. They are made up of a mix of questions that will feel very familiar, as well as a mix of questions that are unique to this test in particular. So quantitative section um, we'll kind of start there. It has two different question types, problem solving and data sufficiency in a rough 50-50 mix. You have about two minutes per question. And I say this because the GMAT is what's called an adaptive exam. And so this is probably my favorite part of the exam, even though it's what gives people the most anxiety. Um, I joke that the GMAT is like the Zen of all tests in that anytime you're working on a question, you are not permitted to go back and you can't move forward until you've actually answered. So there's this very like present moment feel to the test. And so if you can kind of like cultivate the fact that this is very much like the real world, right? When we were all sitting in February, no one knew that March and April were coming, right? And so we have to be ready to react to what's given to us. As much as we'd all love to flash forward to November to see what the world's gonna hold for us, we don't know. And so we have to make the best decisions. And I think the women on the panel today will probably have some comments about that, that we have to do the very best with the situation that we've been given. And so it's important that we understand the time budgets for the GMAT so that you are utilizing that time most effectively. Um, two types of questions come intermixed. One has the fancy name of problem solving. It's really just multiple choice, <laughs> five choices, and you'll do a little bit of math, find the answer, pick it. Um, data sufficiency is the question type that's unique to the GMAT. Um, if you weren't aware, all standardized testing is a business. And so their job is to try and um, charge money to get you to take the test. And then they're going to charge INSEAD to be able to see your scores. And so they are in this to make money. And so in order to make money, they have to stand out and be unique. And so data sufficiency is their attempt at that. If you take the GRE, they have their own, you know, fancy question type called quantitative comparison. So this is nothing new in the standardized test racket. Uh, GMAT would not like me to say that. But um, so data sufficiency is also a multiple choice question. Um, just so you can see what one of these looks like, um, they do absolutely deserve some serious focus in your studies uh, because the way you approach these is not the way you would approach a typical multiple choice. You'll be asked a question up front. You'll then be given two pieces of information as an attempt to answer that question. I, I think of it as if I am an investigator trying to solve a mystery. In this case, I am looking to see how many employees, for example, um, were senior managers. I then find two witnesses who give me two different um, pieces of information. They are true, so they're not lying to me. They just might not be terribly useful um, witnesses to this uh, question. So I might be told something like in this case, 
you know, I want to know how many employees, the first statement tells me 80%. And so there's a mix match between number and percent. Um, whereas in the second statement does give me a number, tells me 64, but it tells me about the wrong group of employees. But if I were given both of these pieces of information together, 80% are senior. So that means 20% are not senior. And I can combine these pieces of information to solve. I don't have to actually solve for data sufficiency, which is why this question type is so elegant. All of the answer choices that never change are simply asking whether the information was enough. Um, data sufficiency can be very intimidating because it's different. You know, like here's the secret. Data sufficiency is a phenomenal question type. For those of us that feel comfortable dealing with the logic of quantitative subjects, but maybe are a little further away from the mechanics of algebra and exponents and quadratics, you can use reasoning and should be to try and solve these. So I'd like to just at least be one voice in your ear as you study that says data sufficiency aren't in fact scary. They are the one question type where if you can embrace a lack of math, <laughs> these are actually quite enjoyable. <laughs> um, you don't really need to solve very much. So I, I'm a big fan. Um, on the verbal section, to highlight this, there is one question type that you are going to want to focus primarily on, but there are three different question types. One is sentence correction. It focuses on grammar, um, American English grammar. I say that for a very specific reason because American English grammar is not the same as English grammar across the, the world. So um, this is a place where, you know, grab a grammar book. We have some great chapters on it. There's plenty out there. Grab one focused on GMAT grammar and then just kind of hammer back some of the rules. It can be a really nice mechanical way to improve your score. Um, I always joke that the quant section is a, a section of creativity, while the verbal section is about your analytical skills, which seems to be the opposite of what we'd expect, um, but it's absolutely true. Um, the other two question types on the verbal section are going to feel very typical. I'm pretty sure there is not uh, a standardized test on the market that doesn't have reading comprehension. It's like they've all just decided reading comprehension is going to be part of it and every test out there has it. You're reading passages, answering questions, uh, and then there's the critical reasoning section of the test where you'll be given a small argument and your job is to do something along the lines of um, supporting it or weakening it or talking about the assumptions for it. Um, I highlight the time for sentence correction because in general, this whole test is kind of this two minutes per question, two minutes per question. Um, whereas sentence correction, the reason why I say kind of hammer that grammar is that we want to be able to move through those questions relatively quickly. So as you're studying, focusing there. The um, most powerful thing you could be using on the entire verbal section is going to be um, this idea of process of elimination. So again, you don't have to know perfect grammar. You just need to be able to choose when given all sorts of grammar options. As the test proceeds, you're going to be offered questions. And as you get questions right, the test is estimating your ability level higher. As you get questions wrong, it's going to then estimate that your ability level is lower. Uh, I joke that a good analogy for this is that I'm thinking of a number, guess my number game. Right? So it's like, oh, I'm thinking of a number. And you'll say, oh, 50, 75. Right? So you're picking numbers. The GMAT's job is to squeeze your score between the two. 
right? So it's like, okay, I think my score is a little higher than that. So I'll jump all the way here. Well, I'll jump down. I'll jump here. And so what often happens during the test is this kind of bouncing around where it's estimating maybe a little too high, a little too low, a little too high, a little too low until you're sort of squeezed in at the end. And so what we do want to look for is an ability to kind of get a little bit of a strong start, show the test who we are early on. This sounds a lot like your uh, graduate school goals is to get in and to do a really effective job early on of showing what a capable and competent student you are, but then leaving plenty of time to maintain all the way through. I'm sure the women here could tell you that being a really strong student in the first couple of sections is great, but if you end up you know, leaving before the program is over, um, that's not gonna look so good. So we do wanna make sure that um, we make it through the entire test. So timing becomes a really important part of the exam. Um, the one piece I did wanna highlight is because of this adaptive nature, the test is going to feel very different from what we're used to. And so this is the mindset that I wanted you to cultivate and this is what I'm gonna leave you with today, our good old fashioned paper test. Right. So to do better, our job is to get more questions. Right. Um, if we are, we have this ability to kind of bounce around to see different questions. And so there's this tendency of if something looks easy, we're going to rush through it. If something looks hard, we'll skip, we'll come back, we'll spend extra time later. Um, if we study the test itself feels easier, um, we're going to get more right. And in fact, we'll get faster naturally. So I wanted to ask, is this something that sounds pretty reasonable to you that this is your experience with testing that if you study it gets easier right if you study you get faster on your own if you um, study you're getting more right and so beating the test feels a little more comfortable right um, if this is something that feels like you then you have to switch gears the gmat is not a test the GMAT is very much a game. It's a game to show, um, to try and showcase the best of you, right? To highlight your strengths while trying to minimize the impact of your weaknesses. And that's because it's adaptive. And so I could get 10 questions wrong, right? And Maria could get 12 questions wrong and get a better score than I do. And not just a little better score, a substantially better score than I do. And the reason is based on which questions we miss. Because if I follow this paper test kind of like mindset, I'm going to try and work on easy questions. And then I might get them wrong if I'm speeding through them, at which point I'm convincing the test that I'm not as smart as I actually am, right? So I'm making careless mistakes, um, I'm making bad assumptions, I'm skipping steps. And so we wanna make sure that on this GMAT game, right, what we're trying to accomplish is to show the test that we are in fact as smart as we are by playing to our strengths, right? Our job is if something looks easy, I'm gonna slow down and get it right, just like in business, right? If this is something that I know is in my wheelhouse, that I feel as if this is a place I could be successful, then I'm gonna give that client or that job my attention. If this is an area where I don't feel like I could be successful for my client, the most powerful thing I could possibly do is send them to someone else, right? I never wanna let someone down because I'm trying to accomplish something that's not one of my strengths. I'm not gonna be everybody's consultant. I'm not gonna be everybody's teacher. Uh, and so it's a really powerful thing to acknowledge to someone I'm not your um, best choice, but I am the person who will always be honest with you, right? And so they'll come back, they'll look for advice. And when there is something that they need that might be your strength, 
you're going to be the person they think of. Um, so I want you to know that as you study, the GMAT is getting harder, right? The questions will get harder. They'll be more intense because as you get better in business, the things that people will bring you will be more complicated, right? More intense issues, more creative situations for you to deal with. And so I want you to expect that in this GMAT game as well, that as you study, as you become a better GMAT test taker, you're actually going to be lovingly provided with even harder questions that challenge you. And I want you excited about that, that the test thinks that you're more capable. And so is trying to give you more difficult things. And so if it feels harder, you're going to get the same number of questions wrong as you did before. In fact, you might even pass on more of them because the ones you work on will be more intense, but you know, maybe more enjoyable. Um, and in fact, you might get slower. And the reason for that is this temptation, like many of us have. I, I, I know I am a person who struggled to say no. That I always thought if someone was like, oh, you should work on this. Please come do this for me. I was like, yes, yes, yes. I will, yes, I will do it every time. And we can show our, our power by actually saying no every once in a while, right? Not just in work, but in life. So I do want to encourage you to sort of, again, like harness this place of here's my capacity. Uh, and no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I know my worth and, and this isn't really the place I want to spend my time. Um, so we're always here at Manhattan Prep if you need us. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to turn you back over because I am so excited to hear from the women who have brought us here. My name is Lucia. I'm calling from Italy right now. I decided to pursue an MBA. I used to work in the automotive industry. I've been working there for my entire uh, career before INSEA. Then I was a bit, I, I wanted to change. I was coming from a manufacturing background and I realized that the career options in my sector were not, the career path was not what I wanted to do. Uh, and I thought that an MBA would, would have opened uh, a lot more doors for me. And during INSEAD and before INSEAD, I realized I wanted to uh, transition into um, consulting, to move into consulting. And uh, that's what I'm trying to pursue right now. So hi everyone, um, I'm French, I'm calling in from Paris, um, I was working in Brussels and the Netherlands before in SEAD in European public affairs and then business development in the field of insurance, so pretty diverse. Um, and I really wanted to get into INSEAD uh, to sort of boost my career and make a change also, as I felt like I wasn't uh, contributing the way I wanted, nor progressing the way I wanted. Uh, and I'm uh, really, really happy to be at INSEAD. Hey, everyone. I'm very happy to attend the session. Uh, so I am originally from Bulgaria in France. Um, before joining INSEAD, I was working in France and before that I was working in Ireland. My academic background uh, is international relations and political science. So I knew that with that background, probably um, public affairs was the place to develop, but I really wanted to set a foot in the business uh, and corporate world. And uh, I knew that actually MBA from a, top, uh, from a top school is the shortcut. Instead of working two, three years, uh, on a low-level job, just so that I could make it to the to the, make the switch. Having ten months um, of a top school is the is the short way to go. So this was my primary goal to go to INSEAD, and I am very happy to do so. Uh, and I could say that already I could see results. <laughs> so just network and contact uh, 
are already paying off uh, for, for that decision. Hey everyone, um, so I'm Kimberly. I'm originally from Zimbabwe, but I moved to Australia in high school with my family. Um, so before INSEAD, I was working at an Australian fintech scale up, um, and I really enjoyed that environment. I was a software engineer there, but just being in that kind of really dynamic environment, everyone just help out, wear lots of different hats. I just really um, loved that environment, but I um, was missing two things. Um, one of them was more professional level was I wanted to move over a bit more into product development rather than um, software engineering itself. Um, and the other was that I was kind of starting to get this feeling that I wanted to understand more of the Zimbabwean side of myself and like, connect back to those roots that I'd been feeling. Um, I, I really wanted to just work out what was happening there. Um, and that was why INSEAD was kind of the only place. It was the only school I applied to. I just knew this was the place where I could do that. Um, and actually, my summer project at the moment is um, I, I met another student in, in my class um, who's also from Zimbabwe, and I don't know at what other business schools those chances are. Um, and we're working on a startup related to Zimbabwe, and I'm super excited about that. So hi, everybody. My name is Jasmine. I was born in China, but I went to Canada when I was 17 years old. Right now, I'm actually calling from Switzerland. I just finished a hiking trip and right now sitting in the restaurant talking to you guys. I'm very, very excited. And um, the reason I wanted to do MBA was really about learning, um, not only just learning from like what is economics, what is what is the business, but really learning from my peers, from like the six girls who are in a meeting with me to really get like life inspirations to see, oh, what's their life experience? How is that going to inspire me to become the leader I want in the future? Um, so hence, I uh, I joined the INSEA, which right now, right now, I really, really enjoy that. Currently, I am doing a summer project with Google. And I'm very excited to be in this session because I personally done five times of GMAT. I maxed out all my chances. So I'm very, very can't wait to share all my hardship stories with you guys. And very nice meeting you guys. So uh, let's start with the GMAT. Um, I, I'll just, um, I was doing a little bit of research and I think this is gonna ring truth to a lot of you um, from the GMAC and um, they're saying two of the top challenge in navigating the application process for women are a finding and preparing and finding time to study for the GMAT and then the second one is taking the actual GMAT test. So I'm kind of wondering if, you know, whoever wants to start, can you give us a little bit, uh, like, what was your challenge and how you kind of overcome these challenge of finding the time and then actually taking the GMAT? I can take this on um, because yeah. I've faced many, many challenges during the GMAT study. Uh, one is definitely the time because uh, previously I was working in Deloitte as a consultant. And um, yeah, like it, consulting, we all know you, you overwork sometimes. And one advice is really just to suck it up. Like even at night, you, you just parse out like one or two hours, tackle maybe like one sections of the whole entire exam and just persistent of it. And also, I think GMAT, what practice tests, we're doing questions is one thing. The second thing which I find is hardest is like battling with yourself. Because as Whitney was saying that GMAT is like if you answer it right, the question is going to get harder. And if you answer it 
wrong, the question is going to be easier. So throughout this exam experience, it's never going to be great because when the question getting harder and harder, you know you are doing right, but you couldn't answer it like at certain point, and then you feel shit about yourself. And then if the question getting easier and easier, you also feel shit about yourself because you knew your previous question was wrong. So <laughs> this is to me, GMAT, the, the challenge is not about how many questions you've done, it's about like how you adjust your mentality throughout the exam so that you can keep yourself sane and keep yourself like at a good pace that you were supposed to be on. And obviously practicing is one thing, but second is really the mentality. It's just about keep trying and never give up because if NCI is something that you really wanted to pursue, you got to tackle that. And um, the, uh, the result is great and the result is so rewarding at the end. Great. Thank you. Anybody else who wants to share? Well, I, I can step in. Uh, so I also took the GMI quite a few times. And um, I think what really helped was consistency. So although it's really tough at the end of the workday to, you know, uh, uh, give some space in your mind for the GMAT, it's really crucial that you at least, for me, I mean, that was a lot uh, every week, but at least four times a week spend some time on the GMAT so that you regularly try to do at least a little bit you have to sort of you know stay stay warmed up uh, on the kind of questions and that can be just one hour or, or two hours but at least it has to be consistent re- you know regular mm-hmm. um, and in terms of the GMAT exam I think for me the hardest was just exam anxiety um, some people have that more than others and so if you have it well tough luck but I guess you have to know how you you know wh- what works best for you so for instance uh, identify the best time during the day at which you're you know less stressed out so for me sort of the morning was better so I always took uh, ex- the exams in the morning uh, you know so you have to know sort of what, what works what sort of food will work as a snack to have the right level of energy um, yeah things like that Oh, maybe I can jump in for a second. Sure. Um, I would say, I think this goes both for the NCAD application and the GMAT. So um, take your time to, I would say, take your time to learn the rules of the game. So uh, as Whitney was saying, it's it's really a game. So you have to know yourself and know the game and try to... Uh, to, to how, know how to, to trick the game somehow, to win it. Uh, because it's, uh, you, you have to be strategic about it, about the GMAT, how you want to play it. You know that there are some types of questions that maybe you never get it right or know that it's designed to make you feel frustrated uh, with the, to, to put you under pressure with the, with the time constraints and with the fact that the question gets harder uh, the more... The, the better you do so uh so know that own the know the rules of the game and know how to play and that's the same i think somehow with the with the inside application um gmap is a part of it but it's not the the full the the it, it, it's not 100 percent of the weight of, of your application so uh, i mean maria is as way and, and kate uh, way more experience in that but my feeling was that okay I knew that I was a bit uh, I had the feeling that I was a bit weaker in the leadership uh, potential because I had no leadership uh, experience I had no 
that managerial experience in my, my career path. So my my goal was to aim to a slightly higher GMAT to I felt that I had somehow to compensate that. Um, maybe you had an outstanding curriculum and then you, tons of international experience and then maybe you can uh, I mean the GMAT is not the, the most important thing in your in your application so uh, always try my my, my suggest my advice uh, is try to look at the, the whole picture know the rules where, the, where you're playing and try to, to, to do that because it's what you're going to be doing even later on Thanks, Lucia. Good advice. Maria, you want to jump in? Yeah, just quickly to add uh, all the points, I feel so uh, close to, to them. So what Anna said in terms of keep yourself warm up. So don't let, if you start studying for the GMAT, don't let a one week skip and then start again because you just forget where you've been and then just prolongate the whole process and your chance to get lower out is much, much bigger. So just try to have a block of one time. It's it's difficult, especially when you work full time. But if you have one month of like everyday consistency working on the GMAT, I'm sure that it will pay off. Um, again, timing is very important to be either early morning or after work, but something that works for you. And in terms of reading comprehension, these are these long texts that you have, and then you have six questions after them, or I'm not sure if it's six or five. Uh, my advice was I was um, I downloaded an application like Wall Street Journal or Financial Times. Some of the time I was reading in the metro every day when I was going to work. So just to train myself on long articles and just trying to focus on them or at least to understand them. And I think this actually helped me a lot because when uh, I got into having like a long reading for the exam, I just make it curious. Okay, that's an interesting topic. I will like it. And then you push yourself and actually you could get engaged and then the answering of the questions is much easier. So this this is uh, my advice. And what Lucia said about the big picture is very important. I definitely didn't have a great GMAT score, but I really nailed i think the essays and i had very good recommendations and this also built the puzzle so i think that you really have to uh reinforce the strengths that you have and trying to have a decent score on gmat but don't think that this will fail you if you have other strengths i just wanted to jump in and say one thing because someone asked us in the q a and just from a person who's watched lots of people study. Um, I've also noticed frequently that um, there was a question about why women tend to perform more poorly than men on the GMAT in general. And um, I 100% know it's confidence. Um, that It's far more often that the women that I encounter in studying believe that they're worse at math um, or believe that they're not as good test takers. Mm-hmm. And so that sets them back when in fact, I just want you all to know this, that it's typically my female students who are actually stronger. They just doubt themselves more frequently. And as I mentioned, the quant section isn't actually math. It's more often your ability to be creative. I actually find that women who can let go of math are far superior than to most of my male students. So please don't let this belief that, oh, like, you know, I'm not, someone told me when I was 10 that I wasn't good at math. Like, please, please like let that stop now. Um, You guys are extremely powerful and brilliant. So like, please uh, like own that and, and like know that I see it when I watch my students. So I just wanted to make sure. Right. Thanks, Whitney. I think confidence is really key on the GMAT. Um, Kimberly, uh, I think we haven't heard from you, but if you'd like to jump in. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I could talk for days about the GMAT. Um, I think I, I really identified with Whitney's thing about how this is a game. And if you can get into that, that kind of mindset, mm-hmm. it becomes mm-hmm. 
really fun and interesting and and also the, the part about creativity like um I kind of got to this point when I when I realized um especially thinking about the quant section um if you actually if you find yourself doing a whole lot of calculations and like this huge complicated thing you've done something wrong like you've you've gone down the wrong track um mm -hmm. and I saw like Try to get into the mindset of, I mean, you, you can always solve every, especially quant questions, you can always solve them by just sitting down with a piece of paper and like fill up an entire A4 piece of paper with, with stuff. But there's always kind of like a, a trick question, like maybe everything cancels out or like if you set it up in the right way, then it just, the answer is just zero or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And what something I found really helpful was going, um, I mean, on like, for example, the GMAT club forum, like I would solve something and then go back and read and there's, there's these people in there who are just like you know they solve it in one line and like just try and get your head into okay how could I do this in the trick question then you can answer it in 30 seconds and yeah. you're kind of done um, in terms of just like some general tips I think one of them is um, work out where the GMAT sits in your overall um, planning so for me for example I kind of decided to apply about a year before the application deadline was that I was going for and I kind of looked at my schedule. So in my, my previous job, uh, September was the end of financial year. So that quarter was always just horrific. And then, you know, the quarter after that, I knew I was going to just be exhausted. So I thought, okay, January to March, like that's going to be the time I've got available and I'm going to just commit to that time. I'm going to take it super seriously, um, really commit like some of the other women have said, like just, yeah, commit to that time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess the last thing was, I guess it kind of relates to the, the question about how can you reframe something, but I just have this very clear memory of um, going to the, the test um, on, on the test day. And I was kind of feeling confident, but then I, I went to this coffee shop the day um, just beforehand to just have um, breakfast. And then I stood up and like my legs were just jelly. I couldn't even stand. I was just like, wait, <laughs> I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Um, but then something just like switched in my brain I was like this is not this is adrenaline like this is my body that's like readying me for a fight like my body is is coming like it's it's helping me it's bringing the resources that I need for this fight and I've just got to channel that okay stop sh shaking the legs and just send that I kind of this like really like visualization exercise like okay bring it up to the brain and, uh, so yeah it's just like a question of reframe that and get into the, the mindset but yeah, good luck, everyone. Yeah, Kimberly, I, I, I like how you rationalize the energy. Your body is telling you, get ready, yes. <laughs> Very good, thank you all for, for sharing that. I think we're ready to take some questions. We're getting a little bit over uh, our time, but I wanted to be able to take some questions from the audience. Yes, of course. Uh, thank you, Whitney. I saw you answered a few questions there, so that's re really helpful. Um, I have a first question from uh, Spandana asking, being a full-time entrepreneur, uh, I struggle with finding the right people to provide recommendations. Would you be so kind to suggest some example of people I could approach for recommendation? I can start and then uh, the students, you, you guys can... Uh, um back me up or tell other alternatives. I think if you are an entrepreneur, um, you know, you don't have a boss, you're your own boss. So usually maybe a client could be uh, a good reference, especially if it's somebody that you've been working with for a long time 
and they can speak to your leadership potential. They can speak about your team dynamics and speak about your strengths and weakness. That would be great. Um, if you do volunteer work for a nonprofit organization and you're part of an advisory board um, and you've been working with that board for a little while and they've seen you in action, um, that would be uh, fine as well. So basically you need somebody that can speak about how you are in a professional setting. I don't know if uh, the panel would like to add anything else. Probably I could say that, not that I have from that experience, but I know uh, either it really depends. So if you're in a startup, an entrepreneur in a startup, the other co-founder, if there is another co-founder who is your colleague on your level, mm -hmm. that will be a good idea. Either also an investor, usually the investors who invest, they sit on the board of your company. So that could be also a good idea. Chairman, usually Usually startups have one person who is like a chairman advisor, so they know pretty well the team, including you, so they could also be a good idea. So this is where I would go to ask. Great advice, Mariella. Thank you. Other questions, Kate? Yes, I have Aurélie Roger asking, do you accept the online GMAT? There is, uh, there is not SAWA on it. Yes, we do accept the online GMAT uh, because a lot of places in the world, some of the centers are still closed. So it's absolutely fine uh, if you have a GMAT uh, from, uh, that you took remote. Thanks, Maria. Um, next question is from Sakshi. I took GMAT recently and got uh, 660. I'm confused if I should take it again and if I should, how should push my score higher? Any tips? Thank you. I can answer the first part and then maybe Whitney, you can take the second part. Great. Um, so for NCAD, um, I would look at the class profile and usually we have, we publish uh, the average I might use that as your benchmark. Uh, we also publish the range. So currently uh, what's published on the website is from last year's uh, class uh, and it's two intakes. So I think the average is either 709, 710. The range is of course much bigger. It's uh, 670 to 750. Um, so just to give you an indication that you don't have to have a perfect GMAT to apply at NCAD, all kinds of uh, scores are getting in. Um, But typically, we advise you to aim for at least a 70% percentile balance score between the quant and the verbal. Um, when we consider your academic capacity, it's not just the GMAT or the GRE. It's your previous um, academic experience, you know, how well you did on your undergrad, if you have other master's or PhD. Sometimes we also consider what you do for a living. So some of you might have a very quantitative background. Um, so that's great. So that speaks to how well you might be able to do in the program. So Whitney, I'll let you answer the second part, which is how can I improve my GMAT score? Um, yeah, and I, one of the things I just wanted to point out, I think it said you had a 660 with a 
I, be, uh, I believe it was a 47 on the quantitative side and a 35 on the verbal. Um, so in your specific case, and this is true for anyone, um, the highest score on the quantitative side is a 51. The highest effective score on the verbal side is roughly a 45 or a 46. Um, and so at this point, looking at your particular score, you're only about four points away from a perfect math, which becomes extremely difficult. So I'd say that in like your case, you have almost maxed out your quant score. And so if I were looking for quick results, I would focus primarily on verbal. Um, in general, what you're looking for, and this will answer another question that was lower about how many mock tests you should take. I recommend during your studies, you take a mock every two to three weeks at the most, leaving time in between to actually improve on um, both the content in that space as well as your process. Um, oftentimes what's hurting people is process more than the content itself, particularly for verbal. So for example, if you're not doing process of elimination, right, like start to see how that you could apply with that side. Um, and so what I would say is for anyone taking the test, compare, again, your quant against a 51, your verbal against about a 45, 46. Look at how many points you have available in each of those sections to continue to gain and let that be the ratio of how much time you have to study. So for the specific case in the window, I would say a two to one or even three to one verbal to quant would be kind of the fast move for you. And then we have a, we have a free download on our site that you can get to analyze a practice exam and it'll tell you sort of the same thing that I am, which is here's where you should focus and based on your scores on like a free mock on our site. So yeah. Before we go, I wanted to ask our panelists, um, this is a question that I've been asked many times during the online events, the multiple ones we have done uh, since February. Um, I know you guys have been traveling a lot, you've been taking online classes, you've been uh, working remote. Um, I just wanted to go over the panel and just share with me, you know, what has been a day in the life of an INSEAD student in the last few months and some of the projects you've been involved this summer. I know a lot of you mentioned that you are involved um, either doing internships or the startup uh, summer project. So I wanted to hear just very briefly uh, before we end, uh, if you could share a little bit about what you've been doing. Mariela, you're on top. Uh, so go first. <laughs> uh, yes. So um, I just want to, yeah, it was an uh, incredible experience in the last uh, six months uh, with there were ups and downs. As you know, we are in a, in a COVID pandemic crisis, which actually started going down, thankfully, in the last couple of months. But it just didn't impede the... Um, uh, the emotional part and um, and the intense academic and um, uh, contact related part to the program for which I am very happy. So for the summer I had two projects going on. So for us summer starts in July and continues until the end of August. I participated in the startup tourism a student-led initiative in which uh, together with few INSEAD students we were four people in a team we had to explore the startup ecosystem of Europe, of selected countries, both physically and virtually. So we were traveling across Italy, Germany, Netherlands, and France, uh, meeting startups and venture capitals. Um, so to explore the healthcare industry and what has to be improving it, especially in the supply chain, which is very 
COVID-19 related, and it was very, very interesting. Uh, and then the second project was uh, with the Venture Capital Fund. Uh, I just wanted to say that because of the pandemic, um, INSEAD managed to um, create this uh, amazing network with alumni, INSEAD alumni who were helping. They listed all possible projects that we could work distantly with them so that it could um, balance if we cannot find internships because of the crisis. So actually the opportunities were much more than they were for other intakes before because this network wasn't, this project network was not in place. Uh, so this is how many people from my intake are working on several projects simultaneously during the summer. So it's been quite busy, which I didn't expect, but yes, so I'm very happy for that. Great. Anybody else want to share some of the things you're doing? I can quickly show what I'm do I've been doing. So uh, for the summer, I am working on a project with Google, um, focusing on digital marketing. And in the meantime, I am fulfilling my um, life bucket list, which is traveling around Europe. I've been to uh, Spain, Amsterdam, and Switzerland. So um, I think for me, ECI definitely is checking off all the boxes that what I've been expect what I was expecting before ECI. Even during the pandemic, I think all the ladies here can relate is that our relationship actually got tighter. Um, but yes, definitely like we've been very closely connected with each other in the past few periods. That said, we definitely all miss each other's like a FaceTime, like a sitting in a classroom. That's definitely something we also miss. And hopefully, hopefully uh, something will come to the brighter side um, in the P4 and P5 for us. But um, ECI to me right now has been, I know people say that a lot, like, but to me it has been transformational because I've done so many things that I've never done before. For example, solo traveling, for example, doing something that I that will help me for my full-time job, which is digital marketing. And that's something that I want to transition for post-MBA. And ECIA has been able to provide me those opportunities even during this global pandemic. So that's something I really, really do appreciate. Thank you for listening to this episode of In The Know. If you want to know more about today's career development and leadership topics, head online to www.insead.edu forward slash podcast. To discover more about any of INSEAD's degree programs, head to www.insead.edu.